Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Why, hello, Joshua. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Although, I have to say that a mystery has been solved. I didn't know that you were applying for your mystery solving license. <laughs> I, I, after years of Fright School, I need an advanced degree. Okay. I need practical skills. There we go. I realized when we were watching the film that we're going to discuss today earlier that there was a reason why the ending saw theme sounded so so familiar. Ah. And it's because it sounds live and let die, <laughs> which is fitting. There we go. Uh, yeah. So Now, was I doing live and let die or was I doing the end of the, <laughs> the twisty reveal music of the saw? Well, it sounds, the way you just did it, it sounded very fun and like maybe you were doing something, some Fosse <laughs> would have gone well with that. A little Fosse neck do it? Yeah, a little Fosse neck. All right, there we go. So, now you know. It dawned on you that they that's what they've been doing this whole time. Is that Elton John? No, it's Wings. Oh, Wings. Paul McCartney. Oh, okay. Paul McCartney and Wings. Oh, it's a Bond tune now. Yes, oh, okay. exactly. It's for Live and Let Die. <laughs> I've not seen that. I've only seen the the Bond movie that has Madonna in it. <laughs> By far one of the worst Bond no movies. No shocks there. But not her fault, though, because she she's only in it for three seconds. So it's really oh, not Oh, she's her. the fencing instructor. Yeah, that's Barry right. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Because she's, and this is in, in her... British face. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When was that? Like 2002, 2003? Um, Whenever Die Another Day came out. It could have been that, 2007, actually. Right. With that, yeah. No, I was still in high school. No, it, you weren't. Wait, what? You weren't in high school? No, you weren't in high school in 2007. Uh, no, I wasn't in high school in 2007. Oh, I was in high school in 2007. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to rub my youth in front of you. Oh, that's okay. 2002 was Die Another Day. So, yeah. Got still, it. I, okay. think, I think it came out in my senior year. When was it? Really? Yeah, November 22nd. So a few months into my senior year. Okay. Regardless, you've now solved that mystery. I'm so I've solved yeah. it. I'm going to get it. This is such lovely. What do you call this? Are we in AMSR? ASMR? ASMR, yeah. Uh, Tupperware. You have to do it like more seductively. You can't it's, just. Oh, it's rubber made. Rubber made. Yeah. Rubber made. Can we get. Yeah. Um, this isn't really that kind Hold of. Hold on. Let me, let me turn the. Let me turn. Oh, there you go. Should we tell people what you're doing? <laughs> That's enough of that. Although, yeah, we could become an ASMR podcast. I'm opening up. Josephine brought uh, cookies from her kitchen in a Rubbermaid thing. Oh, they smell really good. Well, yeah, Very they are good. Cinnamon. My the, this brand, uh, this line of like storage products for Rubbermaid is called Brilliance. Oh. But that's how my mom refers to it. It's like, where's my Brilliance? Wait. Don't forget to bring my Brilliance back. Uh, we've had one held hostage here since the holidays. I so know. You get to take so it back now. I had to, yeah, I'm glad that you reminded me. Cause Ooh, now. it looks like there's lots of butter in these maybe. So yes, yeah, so these are from the Milk Bar Cookie Cookbook called All About Cookies. This particular cookie is the CTC, that's Cinnamon Toast Crunch Marshmallow Cookies. Oh my gosh, this is... Cr I'm trying this live on... I yeah, haven't had hold one on, yet. Let's turn that... Let's get it. The <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> <It's awful. laughs> wow. Anyways, uh, very tasty. 
It's good, right? Yeah. There is nothing healthy in that. No. <laughs> I can see the little pieces of cinnamon toast crunch in there. Mm-hmm. Is this the actual brand label? Yes, it is not off brand. It's it is not, not cinnamon squares or whatever it's called. It's not below shelf in the bag. <laughs> it's above the shelf in the box. Right. The one at child eye level. Yeah. I love a cinnamon toast crunch as a cereal. Yeah. I ate a lot of it in the pandemic. <laughs> it's like, you know what I don't want today? I don't want eggs and toast, but I do want cinnamon toast crunch. Hmm. I ate a lot of cinnamon toast crunch dinners during the pandemic too. <laughs> um, See, while everybody else yeah. was like learning new skills and learning to Baking bake. Baking bread and... and- Nope. Joe's, you know what? This is my year to do nothing but eat cinnamon toast crunch. I also learned. They should have sponsored you. I did learn how to make a French omelet, though. Mm. Watching Julia? No, just watching YouTube. Mm. It was just during the pandemic. So I ate a lot of breakfast during. I love breakfast. It's my favorite meal. So it's a very important meal. I also make a lot of omelets. They're like perfect for lunch. Mm-hmm. Side salad, little yeah. salad maison. There's some a little arugula on there. Perfect. Ready Little to go. Little radicchio. Yeah. Okay. Enough of that. What else has been going on? <laughs> to have a sip of, of my drink, of my beverage here. Was it good? Mm-hmm. Hand me that box. I want one now. <laughs> yeah. Very good. You should publish the... Uh, These are very good. We'll put the recipe in our newsletter. What else is going on? Uh, I recently saw a movie. I saw a film yesterday in the theaters. Okay. Yes. Um, I watched the new... Mean Girls. Oh, okay. In, as the musical. And it was fun and fine. Like, it was not awful. I didn't know, according to my friend who I went with when we were having dinner afterwards, he said that it was originally intended to be a Paramount release. Paramount Plus release only. Oh. So it was intended to be just a TV release. Oh. Which kind of makes sense a little bit because there were some funky things that, like, I thought were new camera work and all that stuff that i thought was a little new for the big screen but i guess if it's intended to be a small screen that makes more sense oh but what do you think of it overall are you a fan of the mean girls musical have you seen that i've not seen the mean girls musical but i only know one song from it which is apex predator Uh, okay and what i'll say casting was superb they cast everyone like the modern quote-unquote contemporary versions of like the characters were really great good yeah oh lee cravalo who plays janice is so good like her voice is amazing yeah and then renee rapp who plays this kind of new regina george is really fascinating as well because she reminds me of the way they introduce her and style her is heather from the new Heathers, the the what's who's the main? Oh Heather? yeah, Heather Duke is that the main Heather? Just shenanigans. Yeah, school shootings and school violence stuff. Which I mean, I do understand, but I was like hoping that we would get a full version of it so that we finished. So I can't remember, but it, regardless, Melanie, what's her name? The actress. I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yes. So but the, the main Heather. Yeah. So they played around with the yeah because it wasn't like yeah it wasn't like because in this the current style is not to have like her in a dress and a skirt it's she has a very contemporary edgy style and is oddly enough is a little more charismatic than everyone is in on the joke but it makes sense the way her her portrayal of it it really makes sense also and this is not a spoiler but arlie cravalo who plays janice imaike (laughs) so they made her Mm -hmm. also hawaiian is in the new version a lesbian 
Oh, okay. Like canonically, solidly a lesbian. Oh, okay. Yeah. So switching that up from her, them just thinking she was. Yeah, because she's Lebanese. Of course, yeah. Blanche. Yes. Lebanese. Danny Danny Thomas was one, right? <laughs> In Danny Thomas one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I've never listened to any of the Mean Girls soundtrack, like the stage, you know, whatever, what original Broadway cast recording. Um, incidentally... Our neighbor over here, son, was the bass player in the Broadway show. Cool. Uh, yeah, and during the pandemic, they had to come back and like they... Uh, actually, I'm not sure if they lived here and they were just working out there. I don't know. I'm not close with the neighbors. It's not really <laughs> my vibe. But the Sam Squanches, he goes outside and talks to people. He just loves to talk to strangers. Yeah. He's uh, the reason you're all going to end up dead one day. Exactly. Which is funny because he's actually he's not into talking to strangers. It's more of just... He's nosy. That's the real thing. He's so nosy. He just goes out there. What's happening out here? And I'm just like, get back in the house. Stop talking to people. Nosy, though. You would think. But anyway, so yeah, during the pandemic, they were like here visiting and or moved back to this part. of. I don't again. I really don't know. But I thought that was interesting. The Sam Sitch came in he go, and he's like, his son's playing me, the bass on in the Mean Girls Broadway show. I'm like, oh, not right now. He ain't. <laughs> but uh, he's just like yelling whatever. at them in the pandemic, just yelling at them right. over yeah anyways so that's you know all i have as a connection to the mean girls soundtrack i do remember the film it came out in 2004 right because this is a 20th anniversary mm-hmm. so it all makes sense it all comes together perfectly i remember enjoying the film the original movie i thought it was funny i like that past the dutch song i love the past the dutch song yeah it's such a good it's such a good introduction yeah yeah Although, is it as good as like that? What is that Yoohoo song from Jawbreaker? I like that too. Which kind of that's what that apes is them walking slowly through the hall. It's like a very similar vibe. Mm-hmm. I was just having a think about which I preferred. I think I like the Jawbreaker song better, but I still enjoy Past the Dutch. Man, this is very nostalgic. Uh, this whole thing, looking at Saw, since we're doing our Jigsaw January, is that what it is now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you to our final girl, Ashley, for that. Jigsaw January, I think. Was she the one who sent that in the chat? It was. I can never, sometimes I get confused about if it's you talking or her talking. Well, that's good, because then if you don't know which one of us, which one of us is doing it, you'll pay attention. Yeah. There we go. Exactly. (laughs) No, but there was, yeah, sorry, I said that because I was confused one time because I realized you had said something, but I thought it was her. But anyways, not the point. Nostalgia vibes. Yeah, doing this kind of look back into the Saw movie. Some of these I haven't seen in a very long time, but it is reminding me of just certain points in my life. And then we were talking about like Mean Girls. And I I was thinking about like when I graduated, when I was out of school and all of that. It just put me on the weird nostalgia thing. So I've been rewatching the original Queerest Folk. Not, I'm sorry, not the original, not the UK, but the The American. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever watched that? The American Queerest Folk? Mm -hmm. Yes. I remember being, I remember staying up late to, and waiting for everybody to go to bed. So that way I could watch it outside in the living room by myself yeah with my looking over my shoulder so i've seen a couple of the episodes but i haven't watched it in its entirety as an adult Uh, but there are like very specific sex scenes that i remember yes from the first season that are like 
part of my root. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. It was always, it was known for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've been like in the middle of this like rewatch of it. It's just something I've been putting on while I'm doing other things, mm-hmm. like just doing like chores or whatnot, or sure. just something to have kind of in the background, which is typical, especially when I'm like in class. It's just revisit old shows just so I don't have to invest a lot of brain power. It lets me just relax my brain a little. Sure. But it's funny how watching that show, how far we've come and how we're like in the same places as well. You know, it's like we're yeah. not as far as we thought we'd be 20 years on from that or now. I get it debuted in 2000, so 24 years. So some of it watching and I'm like, wow, gosh, we don't really talk about these things anymore. These You, you don't see these storylines in because marriage was passed or different things have been we've had certain advancements. Mm-hmm. So it's wild to watch it as, oh, okay, so I can see how we've come some ways far and then other others where we're like still really behind. And obviously there's concerted efforts to uh, put us further behind. But yeah, it's just been really interesting. I've just been finding myself over the last uh, few weeks in this weird nostalgia space of rewatching like that. And then again, revisiting the Saw movies and thinking about where I was and what I was doing and what my life was like when they were coming out. It's been fun. And (laughs) terrifying. Can you expand a little bit on the ways in which we're kind of this, in which things haven't changed or yeah, there's still like there's stuff in it, like where language has certainly evolved or no, I'm sorry. You were asking about how we're still stuck. Um, Still stuck or still the same. Yeah. Again, there's like the the storylines about queer people being like child molesters Mm -hmm. or trans people are pretty much completely like missing from the show outside of a joke. And I I think that's still really true. And using the T slur. Yeah. and, And still using or just they're still missing from like serious conversations in mainstream yeah. queer media, I think, our trans siblings, our trans community members. So there's there are things like that within queer culture itself that we haven't, I felt, evolved from. Certainly there's There are legal things, of course, but there just still, there does seem to be like cultural touchstones about assimilation, masculinity, and a feminine, femininity, both sides that are still very much part of our ongoing conversation. And we still have this divide as we did then about identity politics, po- polite, those, what's that? What am I looking for? Respectability politics. Respectability politics, exactly. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting because I remember watching that show when I, I, didn't get to see the first two or three seasons come out. I got mm-hmm. them on DVD and three just as I was moving out of the house. So then they were like, Queerest Folk was my college watch for the f- when I first started college. I remember sure. I had a laptop that had a disc, <laughs> a DVD player. Which Do they even come with those anymore? I feel like that's like not a thing. Yeah. No, you have to buy an attachment. Yes. Yeah. So I had this big honking like fucking laptop and it had a disc player and I would have the big box set in my bag and I would just sit on the floor in the halls watching that like at lunch or you know on study breaks or whatnot just this is why I didn't graduate high school or graduate college 20 years ago (laughs) when I first went so it's too busy watching Queer as Folk instead of studying and doing what I was supposed to be doing But yeah, so it's just it it reminds me of a very specific time in my life and thinking about what because I always felt like I would leave Ohio, I would move away and I would have this like life. And it's obviously we got to go to fucking Pittsburgh because that's where all the (laughs) 
It's this wild gay life. That's what it's been in. But then I think going down, Ohio had its little gay street, as most places do. They have, like, you. everybody knows where the gayborhood is in yeah. most cities. So it's not as if we didn't have, and it's not as if my life didn't in some ways reflect, like, the show a little bit. But yeah, especially now, like, it's, yeah, no. <laughs> it's so far removed from, from reality in some ways. I don't know. Some of those... It's just been a nostalgic uh, thing. Some of those season one sex scenes are shot the way that some of the kills are shot and saw oh, yeah with the crazy <laughs> lighting and the fast yeah the fast camera movement <laughs> yeah. and the three that stand out the three sex scenes that stand out for me are justin in the museum with his mother mm-hmm. cruising a guy right. <laughs> at the museum brian hooking up with a guy that he works with in in the architecture firm or wherever the fuck. Right, the, um, those shitty advertising. Su- those shitty suits. Yeah, it's like a... Is that the one on the copy machine or whatever? No, it's on his table. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Where he says to him, I don't kiss, and he's like, oh, whatever, and then kisses him anyway, which is, again, it's bad, like, it's non-consensual, but the number one... Oh, God, I, I can't believe I'm admitting this. Maybe I'll cut it out. I, The number one sex scene that is like the root is Justin and Hobbs, right? That's the name of the guy. Oh, Chris yes, Hobbs. in the storage In the storage, right? doing detention together. Right. Yeah. That says a lot. I'm going to write that down in my little... In your secure notes. That. <laughs> yes. that in. No, that's not a surprise. Yeah. At the time, right? At the yeah, time. Especially when... at the time. Especially at the time when I didn't know who else was gay around me. Right. Like all of the examples of all of the overwhelming examples of masculinity, what it means to be a man, exploration and performance of gender is right. so rooted in so in your face with cis heterosexual masculinity. Yep. Yeah. I remember being like in my 20s and feeling oh my God, I think I am... You ever had that moment where you feel like, oh my God, I think I'm mature now. I no longer... The things that once served me no longer serve me in in a way. And one of those was like, I stopped... I found myself not no longer longing for and attracted to like straight men. I had no... I did not want to be with them anymore. There we go. That's a good moment to have. Yeah. Because that's just going to lead you down. That's just not a good road to go down. No, because... Heartache. (laughs) Question of consensualization. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, now we're... This is becoming a totally different (laughs) show, so... I mean, the last time we recorded in person, I basically... It's like the beginning of therapy. (laughs) I've talked to people recently and... They are like, oh, you do you are you studying to be a therapist? And I'm like, no, my podcast partner has been doing it for years, and I'm a good listener. And sometimes I pick things up. And <laughs> there we go. I love it. Have you seen anything new lately? Or we watched that Maestro on Netflix. What did you think of that? I half watched it to be honest. Jeffrey was really into it. Wanted to make sure he saw it. I thought it was interesting. I thought I liked the way that they constructed the story. I don't know too much about Leonard, Leonard I'm Bernstein. Just, yeah, I'm just not brow. Yeah, Bernstein. I I don't care for West Side Story. I don't care. I just I'm like whatever. Yeah. It was Bradley Cooper certainly acted his ass off. I love Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. She was great. I just yeah, I just wasn't I don't care about 
him. It's whatever. I, I'm not trying to make any judgment of it. It was just, it was a movie that I saw. I watched Killers of the Flower Moon, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Give Lily Gladstone all the Oscars. I think if she is nominated, all the other women in the category should just drop out, should just yeah. say give it to her. <laughs> I know that's not how it works, but that's what I think should happen. I think they should all realize... It should go to Lily. It was very good, especially because I'd heard critique that it was like, oh, but she's just like sick for most of the movie. It's Or she says like five words. I'm like, yeah, but she says so much without talking at all, which is like mm-hmm. incredible. She's just such a good actress. She does talk. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. she doesn't, but there are just moments where she's... Whew. Have you seen it yet? I have no oh, idea. Okay. I want to watch it with my mom. My mom wants to watch it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely recommend it. It was very good. I definitely, I still think that it would have been a better movie if they would have made some different choices around what they showed or didn't show about the murders. There are definitely some things that I would have done differently, but we could talk about that when you watch it. Yeah. Other than that, no. It's back to school, so watching a lot of videos related to that. To Psychopharmacology. School. Psychopharmacology, so medicine. Super fun, neurobiology, neuroscience. Do you know how your neurons work? They're all misfiring. (laughs) At least as long as I've known you. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear the synaptic firings from here. Has this feels like it? Yeah. But we've only got a few months left, so it's gonna be fine. We're gonna be we're gonna if we're getting through. Anyways, all right, that is enough of that. We need to get to talking about the film for this week. So we'll be right back after this break with Saw 4. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Oh, welcome back. So we are... Doing our Jigsaw January. What have we done? We've talked about Saw 2. We've talked about Saw 3. And today we're going to talk about Saw 6. No, Saw 4. (laughs) Again, I am a psych major. I cannot count. I don't do numbers. You can count on people being unwell. Yes, I can count on that. And yeah. Okay, anyways, enough of that. Saw IV. See, they have a lot of a lot of fun puns they can do with this one. Saw four. Saw uh, Ivy. Winter. Winter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Anyways, two, we're never gonna get through this. 2007 horror film. We got Darren Lynn Bowsman on direction. We got screenplay by Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. Obviously, it's the fourth installment of the series. Duh. I got Tobin Bell back, even though he done already done died in Saw 3. Apparently. We all saw it. 
We saint it. We saint it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Costas Mandalore, Betsy Russell, Eric Bent, all the people in it. Film picks up right where Saw 3 left off uh, with a lovely autopsy, but we'll chat about that in a bit. First, let's get Joe's initial thoughts. This was the first time you saw it, right? Yes. It's the first time I've seen it. Uh, Not that he really saw all of it, because we got to be on our phones. (laughs) 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 Ooh, I'm glad we are in the library where all this reading is happening. (laughs) Look, I, I think out of everything that we've watched, this is probably my favorite one. Really? That's so interesting because this one, I think, got really panned. I think a lot of them get panned, right? I think four, five, yeah. six, they all got panned probably. But I do know that this one, this and Saw 5 both get pretty attacked. But what did you like about it? That's great. Um, That's why I didn't tell you. I I liked that. It was interesting, right? Because I know one of the spoilers, right? I know that one of the i know there's a third jigsaw there's a third helper and i was spoiled on that because i watched saw x but it ended up being really poignant here and i loved i love the storytelling i love the idea that we're it we're figuring it out and it's all unraveling through the eyes of the through the eyes of the fbi agents and seeing how all the different things are occurring it's really it was really interesting plus the traps were really difficult in this one really difficult in this one and i was just like oh they really are going for it and so i think saw four is i'm glad i didn't watch it in the first season of fright school let's put it that way i would have been turned off the entire yeah yeah pretty it's pretty brutal it has some it definitely has some gross well just like the five what five ten minute autopsy scene where Mm -hmm. they're not cutting away that's the other thing too is that they're not cutting away it makes me wonder if the guy who was doing it was like actually medically trained yeah and i even showed you the that was what we watched was the original cut because i have the uncut like director's cut but i didn't i thought oh i know some of these movies get really you know even with just a few seconds of extra it's enough yeah so i was like i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna watch just the theatrical version, yeah. which um, is usually what we do. That is, this is true. That is yeah. fright school yeah. uh, canon. We do try as best we can to make sure that's unless there's a reason to watch. Yeah. So yeah, Saw Four is listed as number eight out of ten on the if we look at just Rotten Tomato. So they're tometer tometometer. <laughs> Tomato meter. <laughs> tomato meter. Uh, Tomatometer. Tom- <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> tomato meter. So, yeah, it's number eight. So, 18% score there. Um, I mean, it was the first one without so Lee Winnell, worst, right? Yeah, I think. And again, they really are doing a lot in this movie, just try- trying to fill in lots of pieces and setting up the next part of the franchise and yeah yeah it's it definitely has a lot i can see why it's not it's convoluted i think you had i had to watch it a couple times just to get it one at the time i didn't really and i still it's not like i totally pay attention to scores and those kinds of things anyways but i so i love these movies and would just watch them over and over again anyways 
but yeah, even when it starts in four, five, six, it's just like, what is going on? Who knows who? Who's working for who? Who's tied in where? What part of the franchise are we at? What year? So it gets, it definitely gets a little more confusing as it goes along. But it also starts to really begin to highlight the next few have this like social justice element. That's been there, obviously, from the beginning with Jigsaw just having this idea of valuing your life and yeah. all of that. But this one really is asking, the whole thing is like asking for a real sense of like radical empathy with John, right? Through the whole thing, Riggs is being asked to feel and see at least what he thinks as Jigsaw and mm-hmm. not realize there are others involved. So it's just, yeah, it's a real... It's got a lot going on. <laughs> I was going to say, though, with the... So when I saw this in the theater, of course. Of course. This is one I saw... I'm pretty sure it was like an afternoon showing with a friend of mine who I won't name, just in case, protecting the, the, the guilty. guilty. So this is another movie. This was at a time... Another reason that I probably wasn't doing too well in college is partying all the time, going out to clubs, trying to live my queerest folk life and mm-hmm. smoking a lot of pot. And so we got super, super stoned. Oh, no. Really stoned. This was one of those movies where it was like another hot box, which I've told these stories before. Like it was another like hot box day. Descent, right? The yeah, first time the I heard descent, this story. Yeah. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. There's a few stories like this. And I don't know why we didn't learn our lesson, but we got just cooked and went into what is it showcase cinemas i think is what it was called in at the time in ohio yeah showcase and this is also before i don't think when did wikipedia come around hold on i'm about to wikipedia right let's see if it explodes either way it wasn't like now where it's we you get like a full plot synopsis of a film like the second it comes out people put all the details you can cut there's tons of like opportunity to be spoiled like social media now can play a really big role in spoiling that the culture was very different like we were not on like facebook all the time like we are now or on social media in general january 2001 Okay. When did I wonder when it became really prolific to use though? Probably for things that were like pop culture, I wonder. Cuz didn't oh. it really start out as almost like an encyclopedia? You weren't going to go yeah. on there and Google soft or Wikipedia soft. Oh, probably 2008, 2007, yeah. I would say. Either way, it wasn't really a thing. So we I had no we had no idea what the movie was going to be like. No clue. I think I should uh take a moment here to say that this whole series is probably really going to be lacking in educational value. Um, <laughs> there's not too much to really pull from these films. So it's more fun to, to share these kinds of insane stories. So we went in to see it, not having any clue what it was going to be about. And then it opens with that autopsy scene. And I remember like gripping the chair and like turning to my friend and going, girl, I think we made a very big mistake. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I'm not sure this is a good idea anymore. And she's, were you in the front row again? No, no. But we were like very, there was only a few people in the theater. And I remember I had an aisle seat and she was sitting next to me and we were just both, cause it's so, 
intense. Yeah. Just like this, and the color, like you pointed out, that's why I was thinking about that earlier when you're talking about the colors. Yeah, I remember like being really stoned and like the blood, like that red really pulsing out against yeah. that blue tint. Because this one is less green. It's more of a bluish thing. And that's opening sequence. Very but sterile. even the the scrubs and the gloves, the green parts yeah. were just so muted. Like yeah. it was almost like it was the same color. Yeah. Yeah. So I just remember being like, ah. <laughs> and, you know, we, it was kind of like that through the whole movie, you know, especially the trap with like the woman beginning like with her hair. With the ponytail. That oh, was my awful. God. And I had long hair by that point, too. So I remember like feeling oh, no. really because I like, started growing my hair in 2003. So by then it was fairly long. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, that was that same visceral response as yeah. I had with the needle pit, where it was just like, oh, man, I know what it's like to have my hair pulled even a little bit. Do you think that trap is Ariana Grande's nightmare? <laughs> Probably. She should do a music video and remake it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be, thank you, next. Right. <laughs> but, oh, man, Joshua. Yeah. Yeah. That, and then throughout the whole thing, it was just like... So, and then, oh, and I also remember that was another reason I was very confused because it's like you're trying to process this and then like those the like the jump cuts, which according to IMDB, and I think I have heard in commentaries and such as well, they're not done with eye. Like they set those shots up so that they have those are live happening, like the, the splits and all or like when they walk from one to another. And I think that was true in another in like maybe Saw 3, one of the characters had to run because it like pans to like her being in a bathtub or something and she had to run around to get like undressed and get into the tub within those few that that change which i do think is really cool like yeah. there there's some of the things that they're trying with the people like fall into a scene and then they mm-hmm. somebody walks through the door and they do those transitions like real live which i thought was cool practical effects yeah practical effect I was like, it was and a so, film filled with them. There are a lot of practical effects in these. It's so funny because I'm watching Saw Four and I'm like, you could actually, if you were a, if you were some sort of like malevolent film, like film professor, you could use this film to discuss various aspects of filmmaking. Yeah, <laughs> the jump cuts. Yep, the use of music, a little mise en scène situation. But yeah, it was just. Like the jump cuts were really cool. Like the going through the window and then being in another scene and playing with time. And me, and I've been on record on this podcast before. I don't like things that play with reality, right? But I don't mind things that play with time, yeah, because it all is taking place in the same reality. I I loved that, and I liked this movie specifically out of everything because of the fucking around with time and you don't know when it is but you know that everything that you're seeing is truly happening and i love the like you said the radical empathy of it all it's just like i here i am trying to actively recruit you or at the very least that's what it seems like i'm trying to do and yeah it's it's so interesting it's just it's one of those things where like people someone takes something personally but it's not meant as a slight right like it's oh i don't like what you guys are saying about me with all of these gifts that you think that i need right like you think i'm you think i'm too tense because i have all these gifts that are supposed to be relaxing and i don't like what you're saying about me because of that but jigsaw's kind of doing that with these people like he knows he's giving them the opportunity to go against who they are right but he is also counting on the fact that no, they're just going to 
continue playing the part he wants them to play. And I, I don't know. I just keep going back and forth because he keeps saying that I don't kill people. I don't kill people. They have the abilities. They have the means to get themselves out. I don't have, I'm not going to, I don't kill people. But if you take a step back, you take the 10,000 foot view, right? If you're such a student of people's psyche, of people's minds, of people in general, you've already decided that they are going to play out. It's going to play out in a space. So if you know the outcome, then why are you still innocent? Even if you know the outcome, even if there's the opportunity that they could surprise you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that does get into that, the moral grayness of this series as well. Mm -hmm. Some of the people in these traps are, have done terrible things, bad things. And so of course there is like a a vengeance, a a vigilante justice vibe going on with some of the, even though again, um, it's not due diligence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not due process. Sorry, not due diligence. Due process, which is reflects now that in this film you're seeing that there are like police officers involved or being pulled into it, and we already had the corrupt cop in Saw Two, and so there is an interesting thing conversation here about due process and about justice systemic. Yeah. yeah. That started way before we had these sort of uprisings that came in 2010. And then, of course, uh, the ongoing um, discussions of racial violence perpetrated by the police and perpetrated systemically by by um, an organization that is ostensibly doing what it's supposed to do. Right. It's like these aren't it's not an accident. It's not systemic racism is exists. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you bring up again. That is the that's just the bigger conversation that will continue in the next couple of movies that we watch when we return to this later, later this year. Because for now, this is this will be our last Saw yeah. episode. So you're you get a little reprieve before we dive back. Just in. like the franchise, Saw will return. Right, it will always return. What I did think was interesting. I know I said I was there wasn't huge educational value, but I maybe lied. <laughs> or maybe it's because there still isn't. But somebody wrote this paper. Are we ready? Okay. Brian C. Johnson wrote, Using Saw 4 as a primer on social justice. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So in this essay, he says, I've been teaching, studying, writing about the film for over a decade. As a diversity educator, I found that movies regularly portray the darkness of the manifestations of racism and other uh, oppression, but rarely ever depict what viewers, students, for instance, can do to change the way society operates. When they leave the classroom or theater, viewers may feel powerless to enact any real change and may perhaps not even feel compelled to. Imagine my surprise when I witnessed a horror thriller like Saw 4 offering a primer towards developing the empathy skills that are a necessary component of an action orientation towards social justice. <laughs> Your face right now. I wish we were on video because that's hysterical. Yeah, sorry, I'm looking for the next part. So this is a very big paper. Empathy is a social justice construct. So in her classic literary work, To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee's Atticus Finch... Did we know that we were going to bring this up? (laughs) Uh, Did Harper Lee, because I think she was still alive when this film came out, right? She died fairly recently. Fairly recently, yes. She knew that she'd be To Kill a Mockingbird, Saw 4. Same, same basic morals. 
apparently. But anyways, Atticus Finch states, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb inside of his skin and walk around in it. Literally, in in the case of the Saw (laughs) films. And this goes on to talk about how it's like difficult to get students in diversity education, getting them to learn to be aware of their own and others' perspectives, worldviews. Students do not possess the deeper abilities to critically evaluate the perspectives of others, especially students from privileged, predominant identities. Yeah, anyways, it just goes on talking about that, like cultural norms that direct attention away from dominant group status and privilege. Or we often express concerns about that, a sort of bait and switch that normalizes and hides the hierarchies related to race, gender, sexual orientation. The blindness inhibits dominance from seeing their super- This is stuff that we know and we've talked about before. Social empathy, the ability to more deeply understand people by perceiving or experiencing their life situations and as a result gain insight into structural inequalities and disparities. In Saw 4, Jigsaw seems to invite the detectives to better understand his motives ostensibly see what i see feel what i feel in order to save as i save when what he suggests is developing an empathy for how he views life and what comprises his world view this is the stuff of social justice advocacy when was let's see when was this published probably not too long after the film This doesn't have a year that it was published, but I'll see if I can find. Okay. I'll see if I can find more information on it. Let's see. What's his conclusion? Jigsaw pointing towards empathy leads students towards a goal of diversity education, opportunities to critically examine the tensions of diversity engagement, educational, sociopolitical, historical, apparent in American society. In a strange and macabre fashion, perhaps software leaves room for faculty to choose an alternative to the classic diversity canon to focus on these goals as outcomes, teamwork, equality, and fairness. Yeah. So see, it's like that. When I'm teaching my horror college class... It's this is what it's made of. This is your DEI program right here. It's this is the yes, yes. This is your DIE programming. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh my god, she's a DIE officer. <laughs> oh man, I what? Okay, so in a previous life, right? In a recent previous life, I used to be the coordinator of new student orientation at a college. Mm-hmm. I. I legit had a thought where one, like I was getting ready to develop before I got this current job that I'm in, I was getting ready to develop curriculum for the next year. And I wanted to basically design like first year orientation as a slasher film. Oh, yeah. Like I wanted to take the tenants and the tropes of a slasher film to get, to to use that theory of how to move through imagine if college is the unknown villain right right how do you band together form gain knowledge form relationships in order to move through and advance through the first year yeah that's what this paper is giving me right (laughs) yeah saw four is going to teach you about equity (laughs) this sounds like somebody it's in high school when we get shown a film that you're like did you get approval for this (laughs) are we allowed to watch this yeah this feels very much like this person showed this film there was some kind of outrage and then they wrote this as but like social justice yeah empathy it's all there. It's not even subtext. It's text. It says, see how I see, feel how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> save how I save. 
<laughs> it's me writing like a defense when I'm being like sued and my teaching credential is being threatened to be removed. <laughs> AKA the beginning of your villain origin story. Exactly. Precisely. Which brings me to another point. So we'll set that aside for now. That's something to think on, dear listener. If if you happen to rewatch Saw 4 and you think, this movie has no value. Now you know. It's about social justice. It's about yeah. building the empathy necessary to change the world that you live in, to, to have radical empathy. So we'll set that aside. We do get a little bit of John's origin story here, which is kind of, it's fun because he's dead. We like know he's dead <laughs> in the film, but they had to find a way to bring, because Tobin Bell is just so wonderful. So they find a way to bring him in and keep him very much a part of these stories by, with these flashbacks and these retcons. Yeah. <laughs> but one, the thing that's revealed in this film is like he has like his ex-wife. He was supposed to have a baby, a son. The ex-wife is alive. Right. She's he's, alive. He's not a widow. The way yes. they made you think he could... I was, was shook by his uh, alive status. I was like, oh, she is alive. Yes, but baby is not, which is a big part of... Yes, that's what kind of kicks is. off. We get to see the first trap he designed with Sol and the knife, the face knife thing into that awful pin of razor wire. That was horrible. Yeah. But again... It was move aside. He didn't... He just moved. Yeah, it's not his problem. That guy's got rage issues and, and he needs to work on them. And if he would have let it go and just left, he would be alive. But instead, he's probably still in that ball of razor wire somewhere. Nobody knows where. So, again, I, I think it it helps highlight when you look back now at Saw 2, like the relationship, the father-son dynamic, and what John, even though I don't even know if they had any clue if he was going to have this kind of backstory. But knowing it and rewatching Saw 2, like we did a few weeks ago, I... It's like, oh, man, this kind of does really deepen when you know what happened to his son and you know what happened to his family. And so you have Gordon and his issues with his wife and daughter in the first movie and then the second film with Matthews and then the third film with Jeff and his kid and Lynn and their family. There is this theme and then we know what John's lost. And so there is this psychotic grief at work that adds just another layer too. Especially because he had planned. It wasn't like they accidentally got pregnant. She says it was so planned. Not saying this is a good thing to be this control freak-ish, obviously. John has issues, we know. <laughs> she Clearly. Issues. She's got control issues. When you invest that time and there are certain things you want to align and happen and what a horrible death, what a horrible way for them to lose a baby. Just the the whole thing. Especially when it's Jill is in this place of trying to help people and also trying to do good in the world in the way that she can to have that happen to her is really sad and, and awful. And that whole yeah. sequence, I remember it was very emotional watching in the film, even though it's only, it's such a short your segment, but yeah. it's just very heartbreaking. So again, it sheds more light on the first three films and like what he might be saying about family and about where you place your loyalty. Yeah. But even, yeah, it's uh, Jill, right? That's her name. Mm. Right? Jill's whole thing also is the fact that he blames her for the loss, which is also of itself monstrous, right? Like you planned yeah. to have a baby, to have, to bring life into the world, yeah. to have it be so planned to the point where you question a little bit it, her participation, whether willing or not, at least to me. And then you have him say, like him blame her because she should have known better. 
right that she should have quit or she should have been at home or whatever yeah yeah and it's so interesting because like again it's him thinking that he knows what is best so like i don't know when that essay was written but like in that regard like when you think about the actual things that are happening on in the film like you're being asked to have empathy yes but like the person you're being like the person you're being that is asking for empathy is someone who doesn't have any of his own yeah yeah he's lacking in certain ways and again that's the thing of does his work matter more like she's doing she's invested and in her clinic and in what in the work that she's doing and it brings meaning to her life Mm -hmm. and so now for him the meaning is like the baby that she's carrying and that she is like the vessel for this plant grand plan of his so yeah again john is not i think there's definitely some projection in some of John's violence, obviously. <laughs> his own failings, of course. Yeah. And then him trying to, he tries to end his life, he tries to drive off, drive his car, and, and the whole thing. There are other ways that he's projecting his own inner struggles. But when you separate that, and you just step back and look at the, just the facts of it, it's just very, it's very sad. It's just, it's a very sad story in a lot of ways. So I like that this film, even though obviously it's a lot of gore and violence and there is, it's muddled. <laughs> there are times where it's, wait, what, what's going on? What's happening? And then of course the big reveal at the end, which I think you were a little spoiled for or just plain spoiled. Because I, I had said a couple times, I know some of them are happening at the same time, but the, all the events of this movie you think are happening in the aftermath of Jigsaw's death, but actually they're happening at the same time mm-hmm. as the events of Saw 3, so it all converges. Which, watching the theater again, <laughs> I was like, what is happening? I'm going to have to watch this movie again. <laughs> because it was like very surprising to me. I was like... Oh, and that guy. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> like in it, at the lead up to the final moments, right? It's yeah. all Jeff again. Yeah. You hear the same things that were happening from the yeah, previous yeah. You film. hear the dialogue at the end. Yeah. And then you you get you have that realization. It's all happening at the same time. Yeah. And that was that. It was cool. Like I, but I also was like, yeah, I'm gonna have to watch this again because I just felt very attacked by yeah. all the. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been personally attacked by Saw Four. <laughs> Or your own stupid decisions to get really stupid high and then see it. That was the actual bad decision. Uh, that, again, I didn't learn from because we did it again very uh, shortly I after. I clarity on something at the end. Yeah. Essentially, if Riggs had not gone through the final door, everyone would have lived. I think that's the idea. He was supposed to wait. He wasn't supposed to enter that room a second earlier. That was like the message being sent to him the whole time. It's like, it's not his job. He keeps interfering or he's not listening. Yeah. I think the idea was if he hadn't, they would have lived, but who knows as we go on and we find out more about Hoffman's character and what's going on. I don't know. That may color the events as we continue, but yeah, the idea was that every, everybody believes that they're going to live if he will just, Play by the rules. Yeah. Another theme, right? Yeah. But see, that's also, you could say something about social justice in that regard, mm-hmm. right? Because if you don't know the rule, if you just play by the rules, you will live. But the rules in the system, the game is rigged, right? Right. I sit here, as I sit here next to Ibram X. Kendi, you're stamped from the beginning. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> You better put that back exactly where it... No, I'm kidding. It goes right next to the other one. You're stamped from the beginning. So, like, you're being given all the tools, but the game that you're 
being forced to play is an inhumane one, right? So either you can succeed, participate in the system, do what is expected of you, or you go against, you don't do that. You go against that and you do what's in your nature and then it ends up being worse for you anyway because you were not like, which is like just a kind of a wild thing that like, jigsaw a white man (laughs) is telling this black man to just follow the rules which i don't know if that goes in i'm not going to read the essay so i don't know if the essay would say that but it's just a wild concept that someone wrote an entire paper about that yeah (laughs) you know what but you get the fright school award for overthinking horror yes i love it overcomplicating horror but yeah it's just it all is revealed we think that Riggs is on this path to become part of it and be made to, to be like jigsaw while hoffman and strom are out there trying to track it down they're the good guys but the, the twist hoffman has already been recruited he's already been helping it's just yeah it's a fun little twist in the end yeah, and I, I gotta say, so far, my favorite. I am looking I'm, forward to seeing what you think about the next ones. I would probably say maybe like X yeah, and then 4. So those are probably up there. Saw X is still has the highest um, rating, the 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. You're definitely in the, in the uh, majority there. All right, that is for now. We're wrapping up. We will be back because they are going to release a new Saw film this September. We will return to this franchise for Sawtember 2024. Come in your, to your earballs eight months from now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or seven months by the time this comes out. Yeah. Yay. So now you've seen the first four Saw films. Look at that. You're out of 10 Saw films. Yeah, you've seen others like Jigsaw and Spiral or no. I you haven't see seen Jigsaw. Jigsaw. We saw Spiral, right? Spiral and, and Saw X. And saw but X. so like in the canonical Saw yes. films, I've seen five. That's true. Ten. That's true. Oh, I'm halfway there. You are halfway there. So we are we will return to these to celebrate the release of a new Saw film. Again, another very nostalgic thing. It's all like the last couple of years. It seems like we've had a new something within the realm of the world because Spiral is still not sure how we're considering that yet since we don't have a follow up to it. But within the book of Saw, it's fun that we're doing this again. It's bringing me back to my first few years of living on my own and having my figuring out my life then it's really fun yeah it's a weird bit of nostalgia before we go yeah i know we're in summation but like you i just realized that this nostalgia that you've been feeling i've also been feeling as Mm -hmm. well because i've been re-watching movies just to take me back to another time so like i rewatched django unchained Mm -hmm. rewatched Inglorious Bastards, because like from like my college years were like my prime like movie going years. That's yeah. when I really got more into like indie films and seeing what was out there in terms of the modern. You studied arts. film, right? You had like I had film courses. Yeah, communication was my major, and it was yeah. a very theoretical program. It wasn't a practical yeah. program um by any means in terms of learning how to market things no yeah but yeah still the the symbology the semiotics of exactly the signs the signified yes and so yeah so i started i studied film and if i could do it over again i would just be a film studies person just because it was so fascinating and 
everything that I've learned in that film in, in those courses have made me like are things I still use now. It's one of the reasons why I love doing the show so much. And but I remember just oh man, I used to be that person who like would go to the indie movie theater in San Diego by myself to go watch like of that just looked really interesting. Yeah. Really cool. And even today, like last week I just watched, I watched like an hour and a half worth of trailers for movies that I hadn't seen yet for documentaries. I was just like, Oh, super cool. Super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely same for me, like prime time. Cause I was working, the restaurant I was working in was right across from the mall that had a, it was an AMC at the time. Regal. I think it was like the malls cinema. Okay. You know, and I don't remember who it was through. I can't remember. But anyway, so I would just walk, I would like, and I could walk there from the apartment I lived in. So I could like walk to the mall, go see a movie, go do my shift, go see another movie. And then when I started working at another location, I was at both for a while, one that was in Kentucky across the, the river. And you could easily take a bus that would just drop you off. It was like the best. And I would go to Newport on the levee, which was like this big aquarium and all the shopping and stuff. And they had an AMC there. And so I would do the same thing. I would go to movies all the time, or they'd ask me if I could do a double. And I'd be like, let me have a couple hours off. And I would go and watch a movie and then come back and do another shift. And so, yeah, that was a time in my life. Same. I was going to a tons of movies. Yeah. Especially I'm, horror movies. I remember I used to save the... Um stubs yeah and then at the end of the year just like oh my god like like uh, the journey that you would go on what's funny is every now and again i'll open a book in here and i'll find a movie stub because i didn't know i would just use them as bookmarks or whatever i didn't keep them but every now and again I'll open and it'll fall out or a bus. The other day I pulled out an old bus transfer from like 2007 around the time old paper bus uh, thing. Wow. Anyways, this is uh, Nostalgia School coming to you. <laughs> With a hint of fright. <laughs> yes. All right. That kind of wraps up Saw for now. Again, we'll be back to discuss that later this year when the next sequel comes out. And I'm looking forward to showing you the next few films. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Yes. All right. Thank you as always for listening and good night. School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.